Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law from BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport. I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker from Eurosport. We have just had, Catherine Whittaker, week one of the tennis season. How was it for you? It was, it, however good it was for me, David, it was probably even better for you, wasn't it? Because you were the one that was on the brink of exploding with anticipation. But yeah, I mean... It has to be said that uh, no matter how exploding you were with anticipation, whether you were on the Catherine Whitaker end of the scale or the David Law end, it was pretty darn good, wasn't it, as first weeks of the season go? It was. I would actually have to say it exceeded expectations, even from my expectations. And I spent a matter of month uh, running pole vaults, 21 of them in total, just trying to uh, keep up with my level of enthusiasm and satisfy it. And then eventually we had the first week. There were three men's tournaments, three women's tournaments and the Hopman Cup. And most of them delivered. I mean, let's uh, let's just start very quickly with the Doha final because... I think that has to be the best first week tournament final that I've ever seen. It was, uh, it was relentless, wasn't it? I tweeted during the final that there should be a nap break for these guys. And what I basically was saying was, I need a nap because uh, this is just exhausting to watch. But I mean, uh, then by extension, if I needed that, how on earth does Novak Djokovic feel right now? Um, yeah, I mean. The the level of tennis is just un, unreal. I mean, the I do feel like they were hitting hitting the ball that bit harder, both of them, than they usually do in matches against one another. Sometimes when those two have met in the past, they they don't do their hard, hardest hitting against one another. They they take a few. You know, it's more about depth and tactics and angles and that sort of thing than it is about power. But it seems like they're doing all of that, but injecting a bit of bit of extra power and muscle as well on the ball, which is just, I mean, bits of it were mind boggling, absolutely mind boggling. And the, and the tussle, the changes in momentum and the mind games were going on. And the fact that even more than in the past, and it seemed impossible that it could be more so than it, than it was in the past, but even more so, it's such a mental battle between those two, isn't it? You know, when Murray saved those, match points in the second set and went on to take it and take it to a third you're just thinking this is so mental this game I mean the analysis that's there to be done you know if I was like a PhD student in sports psychology or something I would be all over that match it was Amazing, and I have I have to say, along with the um, the esteemed Eurosport commentary team of Simon Reid and Froome McMillan, after he came back in that second set, I had Andy Murray is the heavy favourite to go on and take the the match. So I really have to hand a lot to Djokovic for winning that in three. And actually, I think first of all, just to to say, it was it ended up being what about six six four in the third, something like that, to to Djokovic. But in the second set, I mean, he 
he looked like he was going to win it in straight sets. And he actually referenced it in his post-match interview, didn't he? That in the previous match, he was the one who saved the match points against Fernando Vadasco, who who must have been having nightmares. I mean, he had five match points, four of them in a row at 6-2 in a tie break against Djokovic, didn't take them, and he kind of threw it away. I mean, Djokovic did well, but still, Vadaska, you know, he knows he threw it away. And then the tables were turned. It was Djokovic who had multiple match points, albeit not in a row necessarily against uh, Murray. He didn't take them. And I thought, I mean, Murray raised his level to something that... I feel as though, in a way, it's, we've only seen that level since he's become world number one. That was a de- that was defiance. That was Djokovic-like defiance plus brilliance, inspiration, and he forced that that final set. There were one or two rumblings on social media when I when I because I thought midway through the third set, I thought Murray is getting the better of this physically. It looked to me like Djokovic was starting to to fade a little bit. A few people were saying, "Oh, well, Djokovic is is play acting and being over dramatic and so forth." And and I think he does. We've seen in the past he does certainly let you know how he's feeling he's he is a bit i think over dramatic at times frankly i think murray's been a bit over dramatic at times in the past but i i've i can't help thinking that that the unusual ones are the ones that can can just keep a straight face when when all that disappointment and upset and stress is going on personally um i don't know about you yeah i'd agree i think they're both guilty of that your where you sit on that is is up to you i suppose i can i think some people are pretty um low tolerance on that and some people are higher tolerance i'm sort of probably somewhere in the middle i don't enjoy watching someone sort of make a meal and 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 you know ostentatiously letting us know how they're feeling but as long as those the feelings behind it are genuine which i think by and large they are both with murray and Djokovic, then i can i can live with it i i if we if we're picking issues in behavior and and murray is by no means perfect but we've done murray's on court behavior to death and it sort of remains it, it actually was very for him it was pretty good yesterday there was very little sort of chuntering to himself and to the box so well done Andy for behaving like a sensible adult how far uh, away do you but, think they were from the best uh, I mean that's an that's an impossible question because what uh, you mean objective there is no objective best your best is determined by what's across the net from you so uh, could I was I, amazed at the level considering it was week one Really, I suppose. I suppose that's all you can say. Really. But then, but then, look at Djokovic's performance against Nadal in the final last year. That his level was just as good, if not better. It's just the level across the other side of the net wasn't as good. He wasn't posed such a challenge by Nadal last year. But Djokovic's level in Doha last year was unreal. So, yeah. um, so we we do see high level tennis in week one of the season. We're just not used to seeing, I suppose, a battle of that nature i just to just to finish an earlier point and i won't labor it because again it's one of those things that everybody has their position on some people i'm sure it won't bother them at all but the ball bouncing from djokovic regardless of your position on it and it does annoy me when it was extreme as it was yesterday from a psychological perspective it's very interesting i think because it hasn't been that bad for years it certainly hasn't been that bad for any of the years that he's been dominant in tennis and how much do you read into it it's easy to read it as a sign of stress my instinct is to see the relationship between number of ball bounces before serve and stress as correlative but maybe that's too simplistic I don't know but the fact is regardless of to what level it bothers you he is bouncing the ball now as much as he ever has and he had toned it down for many years hadn't he that's that's interesting you know i'll have to uh, do, were they referencing that in the commentary because i didn't really have the commentary up it took them a while too they weren't early on and it's a nightmare for a director for a tv director during that because i i think actually tv spectators don't notice it as much as when you're watching live because directors generally are so clever with cutting away from it, with leaving uh, replays running a bit longer so that the beginning of the service motion, the first few bounces, you don't see because they're sort of taken up by replays and so on. So good directors will sort of divert your attention from it. It's one of those things that 
if you don't watch tennis live that much and you suddenly watch Djokovic live for the first time, you go, wow, he really does bounce the ball a lot. Um, so it's hard. To, so they weren't com- commenting on it throughout, but once it got to sort of midway through the second set, they, they did start commenting on it a lot mm. because it was so unavoidably obvious. It re- really was obvious that he was, I mean, we're talking, you know, 18 times Really? Uh, see, I, I was kind of watching it whilst cooking, which is what I, which is what I often do when I'm watching or following tennis matches. So I was kind of, I was probably doing my little chores while the ball bouncing was going on, and then going and having a look at the point. Um, so I wasn't, and I wasn't, I didn't really have the sound loud enough to 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 follow the the exactly the details. So I didn't actually know that that had been going on. I hadn't really noticed. Um, but now you mention it, if you. If you think back six or seven years, I mean, the the difference over the last few years has been stark. There's no question. I mean, he and he used to do it even more than that. I mean, it was it was awkward actually, and and it was awkward for him because I I think it is a kind of there was a, there was a darts player that couldn't let go of the dart when he was when he was stressed when he was about to throw uh, called Eric Bristow, and they used to call that dartitis and and certain dart-itis. putters yeah cer- certain golfers have problems with their putting stroke like that they can't start the stroke almost and and i think that that's that's certainly how it felt to me when i used to watch him doing it and i didn't realize that that had come back into his game so well that I, is an I, interesting say, I noticed it in the u.s open final last year that he was bouncing the ball more again but then i didn't know whether you know i watched that in person for the full four sets and i didn't know whether that was just because you know i was sat there watching a full tennis match really concentrated on it live or whether and I'm I'm used to seeing you know bits here and there and and mostly on the telly etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I I couldn't you know I couldn't distill out the extraneous factors. But yesterday it did really strike me. Hey, he won the match, so who cares? Why should he care? But it is an interesting talking point, and it's a it's a very minor sign of weakness, I suppose, depending on your interpretation. You know, think about. Joe Conter's very she has a great serve but that service motion if you're designing a service motion that's not you don't want to be doing that sort of hesitation before a serve you want to be a Andy Roddick wham bam don't you you know no moments hesitation I can just do this without thinking about it I'm not churning it over in my mind it is I suppose it's a minor it's a minor sign of humanity in in a sport where basically those at the top seem far from human most of the time all of uh, all of Conta's ticks I think are comfort blankets really are just things that she's developed that make her feel okay when she goes up to serve and as long as they as long as they work absolutely fine if you think i mean there were there've been so many weird serves i was watching um i was doing some editing on on an old match with boris becker and i mean his soaring motion on the serve and and the, the preparation involved in that i mean you know i i don't think we used to really put clocks on how long people like him and jimmy connors was another one who bounced the ball a heck of a lot and i it didn't it feels to me as long as Djokovic and Nadal certainly take between serves it feels to me that it, there's actually less dead time than there used to be when i when i look back at those old videos oh so, i anyway. don't agree with that i really don't agree with that i think possibly on the service motion i'd agree with you the problem now we have is there's so much more fannying around with towels and face wiping thanks greg rozetsky that's the issue it's you're possibly right in terms of the service motion that that has always been uh an issue with some players you know some players will have a longer service motion and more ticks attached to it but now in modern tennis there's a lot more time between points doing other stuff like i'll send you some of this footage catherine you can have a look for yourself okay you, you're trying to tell me Greg Rosetsky's not to blame for everything. No, I, I definitely agree with the towels one. <laughs> the, the towels one. The, the, the other thing that, that that is really notable when you see some of those old tapes is the lack of camaraderie and and goodwill at the end of matches. I mean, there's barely a look to one another. There's a a very cursory handshake. I mean, there's none of this hugs and patting on the stomach and patting on the head. And you don't and, like any of that, do you, David? I, I, you know, get, I do get rid quite of the like patting. It. I, I actually angry. like the. I like the aggro if it's genuine. Uh, I actually, I mean, if you look back at the old tapes and when there's real aggro, I liked it. I didn't like the 
the seeming lack of emotion at certain points. I, I really enjoy all the emotion that's out there now. I still want like aggro as well. Don't like it being too cozy for the sake of coziness. But, um, you know, I think it's, um, it's become a bit more accessible. You can feel how the players are feeling these days uh, just by watching, which, which I enjoy. Anyway, so it was, it was a good old match. We're going to talk a bit later, Catherine, about matches, favourite matches styles-wise. And there was a lot of people, and maybe it's just not fans of Djokovic and Murray, but there's a lot of people that don't particularly enjoy their matches styles-wise. How, how do you feel about their matches in terms of just the sheer styles? Well, it's exhausting. There's no doubt about that. I mean, as I said, nap requirements. Um, I completely understand. I happen to enjoy it, but I do completely understand. I think there are... I happen to enjoy it, but it's not my most favoured matchup. I don't think it's the most aesthetically pleasing matchup out there. If you're a fan of the sheer mental and physical battle of tennis i think it's a great matchup if you're more of a fan of a fan of the aesthetic style of tennis uh and shot making is not the best matchup so just just depends on your you know what flavor you like so i can i completely understand those people that think it's not the best as fantastic as as objectively fantastic a match as that was yesterday i understand if people didn't massively enjoy watching it if that makes sense it does and in pole vaults catherine you'll be pleased to know i've been asking oh did you hear that groan everybody uh, in pole vault we are going to be uh discussing a certain it's a very, players it's a very loose we i've asked people who care on twitter in pole vault which players rivalries make for the best matches so does Djokovic against Federer or Murray or Nadal or Vavrinka anyway that's for later Catherine in pole vault we can let you have a nap during that point because you sound like you need one anyway we've got uh, um, loads of tournaments to discuss and Grigor Dimitrov you talk about styles Dimitrov against Nishikori is one of my favorite matchups in many ways because it's taking you 16 minutes to mention Dimitrov David 16 you. minutes did you like my hashtag the other day I don't I don't pay attention to hashtags David right uh, how long have you known me no I don't know what you're talking about my hashtag was and I can actually sing this if you like would you like me to sing it because it's a play on words I'll, from I'll a, tell you how much I wouldn't like you to sing it would everybody else like me to sing it I'll take that as a yes. So anyway, uh, Dimitrov, this is my hashtag. How do you solve a problem like Dimitrov? Oh, God, it happened. It actually happened. What, do, what is that from, Catherine? You can remember that, can't you? It's from my nightmares, first and foremost. <laughs> Sound of music, Catherine. Sound of music. How do you solve a problem like Maria? It's been developed and changed into how do you solve a problem mm. like Dimitrov. And, and as you can tell, I actually stumbled over the words during the song. So it didn't go quite as I anticipated. But anyway, uh, that is a question I asked uh, during the off-season when I was uh, struggling to, to cope with no tennis. And, um, and it, it frankly feels like he's made a major step here to me. I mean, this is his first title in two and a half years. He beat three top 10 players in the space of a week. He beat three all of last year. Uh, he beat Milos Raonic. He beat Kane Ishikuri. He beat Dominic Team. First week of the year, I don't feel as though they are fully loaded players at that point. So I think you have to factor that in. But the level he found was the level he was playing at three years ago under Roger Rashid when he was fully focused, when he was up for it when he seemed to have got himself super fit and super interested. And this was definitely a return to that sort of level, in my view. What do you think? Yes, Dominic Team, who's, who's bobbing on to play Sydney, by the way. Just uh, <laughs> I heard Dominic Team had been having 12-hour practice sessions. Yeah, because more tennis is definitely what he requires. Yeah, definitely. Oh. Okay, uh, no... Grigor Dimitrov deserves our full attention here. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's only the fact that we've said this before that is holding me back from being full-on excitable about it. Because, yeah, I agree with everything. It was quite... For an ATP 250-level win, 
from a player that has already won several ATP 250 level titles. It was quite an emotional celebration, I thought. And I was pleased about that because it is big. It really is big for him. And I'm glad he was okay to show that. I'm glad his attitude wasn't, oh, it's only a 250. Because I think it's big. And I was pleased to see that emotion from him. I was pleased. You know, he's always been okay with wearing his heart on his sleeve, hasn't he? You know, he referenced that he feels happier and more comfortable and more focused and all the rest of it on the court this year. And you, you 100% believe him, don't you? Well, I certainly do. I don't feel like they're platitudes coming from him. It's all, you know, it's all raw emotion. There's no doubt that being with Danny Valverdu, regardless of any tactical prowess he's bringing, and I'm sure he's bringing that as well. He's a happy comfortable man on the tennis court with Danny Valverdu in his corner which I think for Grigor Dimitrov is as important as anything else he definitely looks fit for me the issue with Grigor Dimitrov has been shot selection decision making on the court I mean he has every shot he has every skill he has all the talent you could ever want he got himself physically in shape he sorted out that side of his game a few years ago with Roger Rashid and I think by and large, he's, he's kept up with that even in the post-Rashid era. It's been his decision-making. It's like watching Roger Federer, but without the tennis brain, you know. It, he doesn't pick the right shots at the right time. He's the tennis equivalent of Theo Walcott. And I'm still torn about whether that can be corrected by any coach or by any training regime or by any tactic. I think that will always be... A fundamental issue for him but he does seem to be minimizing the the deficit of that and that is very pleasing it is well I, I think talking to a number of coaches and commentators have watched him over the last couple of years that the common thread has been people think he just hasn't got a reliable way of winning points you know a go-to pattern of points every top player seems to have that and and he's lacked it he can do all these fancy dan shots but what does he go to when when he's in under pressure to to win in points and and he i think he he had that three years ago under rashid big serve massive forehand anything else left over come in and finish it off it's pretty straightforward he wasn't over complicating things and i think he he moved away from that and i think his fitness was was preventing him from doing what he wanted to do and i think his focus was preventing him from doing what he wanted to do and then he started to get the scar tissue associated with all these losses and he was losing matches he was destined to win and, and didn't win them and and you know I think he lost his way completely lost his way I mean he could have disappeared without trace so I think that's quite quite gutsy that he decided to go back to basics a bit with Danny Valverde that's what it feels like to me and I watched the, the one I watched closely was the one against Milos Raonic and, I, and Raonic was playing well first set that set could have gone either way in many ways I thought Raonic was going to win it and Dimitrov was used the slice a lot he he just blunted the power a bit on the return of 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 Raonic and I thought crikey he's using his brain here he's actually playing tactically he's being given tactics and he's following them and uh, I I enjoyed that performance and I think he's played brilliantly all week it's one week ultimately it's one week he may do nothing else all year this may be the height of his year but it did make the heart sing for a, for a few hours, I must say, over the course of the week. And uh, for anybody that's that's liked him and liked his potential, and we certainly have, as anybody who's listened to this show over the years will know. And let's just hope he does take that into the Australian Open, because if he does, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? I don't know how far it would get him, but it'd be nice to see. Oh, yeah, without question. I don't think there's very few people that don't want to see him fulfil his potential, whatever that might be. There's... There's great goodwill towards him in tennis. So, yeah, I mean, he really should be making fourth round. And then from there, we'll see. But he we really he really, he really, should be disappointed with anything that's not second week in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Nishiguri, another good run for him, getting to the final, of course. Uh, other tournaments we had on, on the men's side, we had victory for Roberto Bautista Agut in Chennai over... Is it is it Danny Medvedev? 
Who, uh, Daniel Medvedev. Daniel Med- Medvedev. Somebody, I, I must admit, I, I have not seen play before. Somebody reminds me that he's actually one of the blokes that Marcus Willis beat on the way to, uh, to where he got to at Wimbledon. Sarah tells me on Twitter, he's very young, cool, great attitude on court, won a lot of, on the Challenger Tour last year, and it's nice to see him at the ATP level now. Well, it certainly is nice to see him uh, on the ATP level now. And what we know, Catherine, is Yevgeny Kofelnikov tweets about him every five minutes. Yeah, Russian, which is really but... unhelpful, Evgeny. Thanks. Um, yeah, he uh, he's somebody that's taken his time to make the the. He's not to try to sort of break through, and he's not taken lots of wild cards. Uh, he yeah, as you say, he's been playing on the challenger level. He's inside the top one hundred actually. He's ranked ninety nine, isn't he? So uh, he's doing just fine. Twenty years old, so a tiny bit older than Yuzverev's, but still in this very much in the same category. Um and by all accounts very talented and six foot six as well. It does seem to be that the era of the taller than average tennis player is coming back a bit doesn't it which is incidentally for anybody that's fallen into i spent a lot of time googling dmitry medvedev and was confused about why only uh not tennis results were coming up turns out that is the name of the russian prime minister and and this the tennis guy is daniel medvedev so don't fall into the same trap i did See, public service here on the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Catherine Whitaker warning you off uh, inadvertent Googling as I'm well. I'm probably on now some, some kind of GCHQ database, aren't I? Because I've been aggressively Googling probably, probably the Russian, Russian politicians. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, now, uh, on, on the women's side, Carolina Pliskova won in Brisbane and frankly looked pretty awesome I, I commentated on a couple of her matches for bt sport and she she can she i mean against roberta vinci i thought she was going to lose she'd never won a set against her she lost her fifth set in a row against her by losing the first one and didn't know what to do against the slice and and angled angled spins of uh, of vinci but eventually found a way overpowered her got to the final and thrashed elise Cornet, who'd had a great week up until that point and it's interesting when we ran the poll that you were you would have loved Catherine uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, of who's going to win the Australian Open is it going to be Serena Kerber or someone else and someone else uh, actually got the highest number of votes and a lot of people were pointing towards Pliskova as the one they thought could be the one. I I mean I don't know I I, I think she's she's certainly capable but can she put it all together? She has once I suppose getting into the final of the U.S. Open. I think if you can win six matches. In a row against top opposition, you can win seven if it, you know, if the time's right. So I certainly think she can. Uh, the win in Brisbane makes me certain that she can. I was very impressed with her. Vinci is a horrible matchup for her. Pliskova is somebody that, when she looks good and when the matchup is good, she she makes it look so easy. Like, oh yeah, you can just serve serve big and out hit anybody. And yeah, of course you're going to win every tennis match. And when you come up against when she comes up against somebody crafty that exposes her slightly weaker movement, she can look really lumbering and um, one dimensional. And Vinci in the past has done that to her. And the fact that she's now figuring out. You know, keeping her focus and figuring out a way to win those matches for me is a very, very good sign. And I think, you know, I'm not tipping her as the favourite to win the Aussie Open, but she's in the second. She's a prominent member of the second tier of people, which includes everybody, all the good people, except for Kerber and Serena. So that's pretty good going. Probably third, fourth favourite. Fourth Do you want to know favorite, I'm picking maybe? for the Australian Open, Catherine? Do you want to know Surprise I'm me, David. I'm going to give you an early pick. One week out. Now, this is gutsier. Here we go. Garbini Magarutha. <laughs> Why? I watched her play last week, commentated on her. She looked super fit. She looked really motivated. You know, sometimes Muguruza can kind of, you know, wander about the court, not looking... Well, not not that she doesn't look bothered, but that she just looks so above it all, as though she... she, she I mean, it's great to believe in yourself, but, but it can almost look as though she's too self-assured. And 
I like the fact, and I think that you need some of that, no question, but I like the fact that she seemed really pumped up. Uh, uh, she ended up losing, I think, uh, uh, deciding to, to retire during a match in about the semis. But I think she looks really up for this. And I'm going for Magruza for the title. I think, that, I think that's a very good description of what can be frustrating about or what has been frustrating about watching Magruza in the past year or so, that she is a bit unnervingly self-assured and you want to see someone on a tennis court who needs tennis as much as tennis needs them. You know, that's, I think, the secret of Roger Federer's adoration. Yes, you know, everybody talks about how much tennis desperately needs him and will struggle after he's gone, but as evidenced by, well, the fact that he's still out there as much as anything else. He needs tennis as much as we all need him. And you've had that feeling with Muguruza over the past year or so that she, I don't know, gives the impression that tennis needs me more than I need tennis, maybe. So to see her needing it and wanting it is great. She's not my favourite, though. <laughs> Who is? Who are you picking? I don't think there is a clear favourite I really don't. Who am I picking? I think you, if or, I had or do you to need that extra week, we got one... everybody. We got our preview show. We got our pre-draw or post-draw preview show next Friday when we arrive in Melbourne, Catherine. Just before our Kickstarter closes on the Saturday, uh, don't forget that. And then we're hoping to get all the daily podcasts done if we can. We're nearly there. We've just got about twenty-five percent to go, or whatever it is. Anyway, Catherine, uh, yeah, you don't have to pick right now. You don't have to be as gutsy as I've been. All right, then. <laughs> Give me an opt-out from predictions and I will take it. But I do get extra credit, obviously, having gone so early, as and when yes. I, I'm proven right. Yes, you will. Your foolhardiness will be rewarded if Magaritha wins. And I also don't get as much stick if she doesn't win. No, that's not how it works. Oh, okay. Um, now, uh, elsewhere, we had... Uh, Katerina Siniarkova, and we've had a little discussion about how you pronounce the name. I'm going with that. In Shenzhen, uh, having the most wonderful week. Didn't she beat? Did she beat Radvanska as well? I can't remember. But she's uh, no, it was Alison Risk who beat, who beat uh, Radvanska. But Siniarkova beat uh, Joe Conta in the semis and ended up winning the whole thing. Fantastic week for her. Yeah, her first WTA Tour titles. That's pretty big for her good time of the year to do it as well going into a grand slam which is you know pretty open as as just discussed as evidenced by the fact that you're picking Muguruza to win it um yeah I'm not saying she's she's gonna win the Australian Open I'm just saying you know it is historically a grand slam where there is usually a sort of or there has been in previous years on the women's start side a young breakthrough, hasn't there? There was Bouchard, there was Sloane Stevens, there was Madison Keys, you know. So yeah, well done her. And and um, you know, I was a bit disappointed for Joe Conte when she lost to Siniakova, Siniakova, however you want to say it. Um, but it looks a bit better for Joe Conta now. It, it sounds better to have lost to the eventual champion than to have lost to an un, an unseeded player, doesn't it? So, I oh, know that's what that's what heard about losing to you is that. <laughs> I mean, you've never won anything in your life, and I mean, I still lost to you. So, you know, it wasn't. It was even worse, really. Um, anyway, uh, Lauren Davis, five feet two inches tall. That's got to be the the shortest winner of a of a WTA event ever. Um, magnificent win for her to to win in Auckland and to the she's from America. She's beaten Anna Konyu, the upcoming Croatian player, big hitter, and Davis Beater. I, I think that that's a a heck of a performance from her. I do wonder if I mean this is purely theory. I have not done the scientific data modelling required to prove this, but I do you wonder do if there's <laughs> some kind of Something in the fact that, you know, they had horrible weather in Auckland this week, didn't they? I really felt for them. Ho horrible winds. You know, Ser Serena was pretty outspoken about it. She said, I just want to get out of here. She said they were the worst conditions she'd pretty much ever played in. She said, I abhor this place's weather. She said abhor, yeah. Um, I mean, I... I 
feel for her. I would rather not play tennis than play tennis in the wind. But that's because I'm so lacking in skill. I think it shows up the unskilled. Well, I'm playing you in the wind. Then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they had a bit of a nightmare this week. And I do wonder if, you know, the low centre of gravity, uh, is this making any sense? I wonder if that, you know, favours the the shorter, more compact, less of a big swing type player, perhaps? And you don't want to play against me in those conditions? No, I didn't say that. I said I'd rather play tennis not in wind than in wind. I didn't say anything about playing you. Oh, okay. But anyway, there you go. Just a a theory to posit. I see. Okay. Well, thank you for that theory. Um, it's uh, it's a cracking win anyway for, for Lauren Davis uh, in those uh, windy conditions. And in the Hopman Cup, for not last but not least, Catherine, uh, won by France, who, who seem, as usual, pretty good at team competitions. I mean, I think the, the, the event will be remembered for Federer's return as much as anything. But uh, Richard Gasquet beating Jack Sock in the final and then Christina Mladenovic uh, going down to Coco Vandeweghe, and then they ended up winning the mixed doubles over the fast four um, format, which uh, has had mixed reviews uh, as, as, a, as a way of deciding who would win that tournament. But um, the Hotman Cup, yeah, it seemed to go pretty pretty happily overall. Yeah, I mean, I think just it can't go wrong <laughs> when you've got Federer and let alone when you've got all eyes on Federer because it's his comeback tournament. I mean, it was always going to be a winner of a tournament. Um, so they must be delighted about how this week has gone. Um, fast fours, I could take it or leave it, really. I don't have any massive objection to it. I applaud trying something new. Uh, I've got no problem with with trying something. I don't think it's a disaster or a bad thing. I just think it's not really solving any of the perceived problems either i think it's you know meh fine okay yeah but not wow yeah what's this great new format that's yeah um but anyway that's yeah it's not that big a thing federer uh he looked good, didn't he? I'm not worried about the loss to Zverev. I think a tight match like that is exactly what he would have wanted. Of course, he would have wanted to win it. But getting a really close competitive match under his belt was as important as anything, I think. And so I think he'll be leaving Perth feeling pretty buoyant, really. Yeah, I'd have thought so too. I mean, as long as they're all fit, I mean... I think Rafael Nadal looked really good for a few days. He ended up going down to... He had one bad patch against Raonic, which did make me think, oh, that that's a little more reminiscent of the, the guy we've seen the last couple of years where he where he gets nervous or, or lo- slightly loses his control on the forehand side. But I think he's looked good. I mean, it is, it is bubbling up nicely. You just hope they all end up going there fit and ready to go. Catherine... I think it's time for pole vault, isn't it? Have you got anything else to say? Not now, I don't, no. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, before we get into pole vault, here's something I do want to know. Why does nobody ever pick Stan Wawrinka to win anything? It's really winding me up. Because he's never the favourite. I mean, what, what, but what do come you mean? On. I don't he's know. Won three, he's won three Grand Slam titles in the last three years. He's won the last Grand Slam tournament he's won as many as Andy Murray he's beaten Novak Djokovic in two Grand Slam finals in the last 18 months why does anybody why do people not pick him to win the thing more people pick Federer and Nadal to win than him well are you picking him to win the Australian Open then might do are you I haven't decided yet okay <laughs> okay Maybe, maybe let's revisit this conversation. Well, look, I, I, I went on the ESPN.com tennis website, and, and it's a good website. There was a really good Australian Open preview, and they got five respected writers together on tennis to all put their winners and for every Grand Slam this year, every single one. So you got five people, four picks each for them. Not one of them picked Vavrinka. They're picking other people ahead of that. You know, People picked Nick Kyrgios to win the US Open, but not Stan Wawrinka to win anything. Because he's as liable to go out early as he is to win something. Once he gets into the 
semi-finals. You know, once you're picking from a last four, you might start picking Vavrinka, but he's difficult to pick week one. I mean, I don't. The, the stats don't back you up. I don't think, David. Are you picking him to win a slam this year? I haven't decided yet. Right. Okay. <laughs> Okay, again, probably a conversation to be revisited. Fine, well, we will. But, you know, I, I think it's a bit out of order. I'm fed up of him not being part of the conversation. I'm fed up of this talk of a big four. And why is he in a big the conversation? You can... No, he's not. He's, he's, when is he in the. He, he, people call it a big four and not a big five. What do you call it? Some people call it a big three. I don't, I, I don't actually use that term of, turn of phrase very often. But. Andy Murray is distinguished from Stanford Brinker because of his consistency consistency on tour throughout the year. And Stanford Brinker has agreed with that himself many a time in the past. So I think that's the end of the debate. That's why Murray is distinguished year round. OK. All right. I'll, I'll let that go for now. Uh- How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live. And you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Now, Pole Vault, um, we wanted to know, I say we, um, we, I wanted to know which of uh, the the very top players uh, um and I'm including the big five in this, which of their rivalries are making for the best matches? Because I, I find it fascinating that people were, were getting critical of, um, of, of the Andy Murray against Djokovic style of match. You know, it just wasn't doing it for some people at all. Uh, so I asked the question, uh, which match makes the best one? So let's start with Andy Murray, shall we? Uh, which of his matches do you prefer watching most? Andy Murray against Djokovic, Federer, Nadal or Wawrinka? Um, well, m- well, on the whole, I like to watch Andy Murray win because I'm British. So that's not the point. Is it not styles that... of matches? Styles of matches. Which do you prefer to in- to watch the most? Of matches. Federer probably. 
quite like him against Nadal. Him against Nadal is good as well. 59% of 778 votes said they liked seeing Murray against Djokovic the most. But, oh. but I mean, people, people were outspoken beyond that uh, in response saying they don't like the rivalry. But the, the actual voting gave 59% to that. Well, I do think Next- it's a pretty subjective thing. So, you know, oh, I accept that. Yeah, 24% like watching Murray against Federer. Um, and then Nadal's in third of 12%, and then 5% for Vrinka. What about Djokovic? Which of his rivalries? This was much more evenly split, by the way, uh, but in terms of the pole vault. Uh, I really like do, watching him play Vavrinka. Oh, really? Personally, oh, yeah. yeah. I really like those matchups. Least popular, according to pole vault, 16%, uh, but it's pretty evenly split. 31% like seeing him play Nadal, 29% like seeing him play Federer, and 24% like seeing him play Murray. I would, I agree with you about Vavrinka. I think I find that an, uh, a fascinating contrast. Uh, you know, this big puncher almost against the, the all-accomplished um, jab, jab and move artist of, uh, of Djokovic but I, I'd probably go for Federer against uh, against Djokovic I love seeing that con- contrast in styles um, yeah, personally. that's good I love, too I love trying to see Federer unlock Djokovic somehow and he has to be so inspirational to do it because because of Djokovic's movement and consistency I think they've, they've made for some great ones what about Federer's best rivalry I mean it, just about too many uh, 43% go for, for the Nadal one uh, for Federer but I, I I wouldn't say that they always although they've played the best match I've ever seen I don't think the others on the whole are as good as Federer against Djokovic oh I mean maybe I'm being over as sentimental the because let's face it Federer Nadal matchups are less present in my mind than Federer Djokovic ones because there hasn't been one for so long and there certainly hasn't been a Grand Slam one for so long so I am I have to say Federer Nadal really but yeah the Federer Djokovic ones have have been great they have been great matches you know the the Wimbledon final of uh, what are we talking about 2014 I think Djokovic two sets love up Federer came back to two, uh, two sets all you know that that was a classic US Open final of of 2015 was a classic yeah I mean they're all good, aren't they? They're all pretty good. They are good. They are good. They are good. Um, and uh, I, I also asked, uh, hashtag, my favourite matchup generally, not just those guys. Are there, what other matches do you love watching? We've got a few here. Um, Megan says she likes to see Vika or Venus. I can't believe I said Vika. Uh, Azarenka or Venus against uh, Serena Williams. Uh, we have got Arno who says he likes to see Nadal against Stan Wawrinka for a baseline match. For a serve and volley a match, he, he loved watching Federer against Sampras, that was a good one from 2001 at Wimbledon, of course. Um, in the, on the women's side, Enan against Serena used to be great matches. I'd agree with that. And uh, a couple of shouts for Maresmo as well against Serena and Radvanska. Uh, I do love styles make matches. They do, don't they? I used to like watching Agassi Sampras. That used to be an absolute favourite of mine, to watch this incredible returner and baseliner up against the big hitter and the seven volleyer. Yeah, I'll go with that. I used to like, I mean, I suppose the era of them meeting at the top of the game is pretty short, but I used to like watching Safin and Hewitt play, if that's not too random. Um, that sort of, I mean, it, it, and Safin against Santoro, those matches were good as well. It's, it's the contrast, isn't it? Contrast makes makes for great tennis when both players are at their best, and that's probably why some people don't adore Murray Djokovic matches. Yeah, probably is. Yeah, uh, I, I would say there's some truth in that. So, Catherine, that that's about it, really, isn't it, for uh, the tennis podcast for the first week of the year? We are now going to relocate, aren't we? We've just got the 24 hours to go uh, of a journey to get to to Australia. How many films have you got lined up? I have got a whole series of humans on uh, from Channel 4, which I neglected to watch when it was on. I've got the Christmas episode of Sherlock, uh, and I have the last series of Catastrophe, which I've already seen but want to watch again. So, and a, and a whole, um, I think I've got three or four episodes of my favourite 
podcast apart from this one. I was going to say, I've got 36 episodes of the Tennis Podcast to listen to from the back catalogue. <laughs> I could have had 260. I, I mean, obviously, I, I don't have a favourite podcast apart from this one, except that I Obviously. Except that obviously. I and I hope you, uh, after listening to uh, 45 minutes of this one, that you still agree that you like this Tennis Podcast. If you do, we're trying to, as you know, fund uh, daily editions of the Tennis Podcast at the Grand Slam tournaments. We're definitely doing 45 shows weekly shows over the course of the next 12 months because of you lot because of the the uh the funds you've been able to raise uh for us to keep this going kickstarter.com search tennis podcast if you'd like to pledge there's uh, another five and a half days left before the deadline it all ends at uh sat on saturday at uh, noon 12 o'clock midday uh uk time uh, so what's that about seven in the morning in the states and goodness knows what time in the middle of the night in australia on saturday uh but we're nearing the uh, the limit. If you can get us over the line, then we'll be able to do daily shows throughout the Grand Slams this year. 45 of those to add to the 45 weekly shows. And uh, Catherine has also, you may want to have a quick read of this as well. Catherine's written a blog about how this podcast came about. And uh, and I get all sorts of stick. No, you don't. No, it, it, it speaks very fondly of David Law, my blog. It does. Okay, we must have read it in a different way then. Oh, I'm it well, you be your own judge, dear listener. Okay. But I, I I read it that I'd sort of made you do the podcast <laughs> about four and a half years ago. No, you didn't. No. I said okay with an exclamation mark. Read the blog, guys, you'll understand what we're talking about. You can't get tones of voice. I need to get you to do the audio book version of your own blog for me so that I know exactly what you meant, don't I? Uh, but anyway, I'm only joking, everybody. She's very nice about me, really. Do go and have a look at it. It is called For the Love of Pod. That is the name of Catherine's blog. You can <laughs> I can't read that. I believe it's called that. Oh, it's a good title. It wasn't thought up by me. It was Catherine's brother who came up with that that wonderful title. One day we're going to get Rosie to write uh, a blog as well. That That is also in the works. I'm going to do one too. Uh, Kickstarter.com. Have a look at Tennis Podcast page. In the updates there, you'll be able to find our blogs. They're also linked from our Twitter page. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Been posting all sorts of stuff on there, Catherine, as you can possi- probably imagine. Have you had a look at any of those channels at all instagram i dread dread to think what you've been doing on tennis podcast instagram david yeah you wouldn't like it i promise you probably best you don't have a look but anyway Catherine, have a good trip to australia we will be back i reckon about friday saturday previewing the draws and uh and it'll be hot and and i'll be struggling with jet lag looking yeah, forward to that i'll be complaining about being sweaty <laughs> You will. Can't you wait. Will. <laughs> Catherine will be there for Eurosport covering uh, the Australian Open every step of the way. Eurosport have uh, exclusive TV rights in the UK, so they'll be bringing all the action from the Australian Open. I'll be there for BBC Radio 5 Live. We will have live commentary, particularly of the evening session, morning time in the UK. Tennis breakfast will be on most days of the tournament as well. Uh, so we'll be bringing you all the best flavours from there on BBC Radio 5 Live and 5 Live Sports Extra. Do follow that. Catherine and I will be back with podcasts. Catherine, travel well. Speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 